Now I'm going to ask you a question this morning, and I want you—I don't want you to raise your hand. I'll raise mine, okay? But I don't want you to raise yours yet. But I want you to be real honest within yourself. Have you ever been at that place where you just wanted to give up and quit? You ever been there? I have. I think I was really close to it this morning till till they practiced this last song and and God just came alongside of me and and just kind of put some stuff in me, okay? And I'm serious. I could have preached my sermon about 10 after 9 and went to the house, okay? <laughs> but but he wanted you to hear what he has to say this morning, not so much what I have to say, but have you ever been to that in that place where you just wanted to give up and quit? Just throw your hands up. It, it's too hard. I, th- I think if all of us are honest, we've all been there. Now, that's part of being human, okay? We get tired. We get weary. We get frustrated. Things don't happen like we thought they were going to happen. Something happens that we didn't expect. And all of that stuff just presses down on us. It's kind of life, isn't it? It's, it's kind of the life we live in. Things are never like we... Or at least they're not in my life. Now, I can't answer for you, but in my life, nothing ever goes like I expect. Now, sometimes it goes far better than I expected. Can I just be honest with you? This past week, God just hit a home run. It was a grand slam. It didn't go just over the fence. It went completely out of the ballpark. I mean, He just showed up and showed out. I mean, he, he really did. It was unbelievable what God did. And He worked through us. People who are ready to give up and give, give out and quit and who, who, who don't, if things don't work like we think they're going to. But He worked through us. And it encouraged me. But it also wore me out a little bit physically. Okay, how about, Amy, can I get Amy? I can see it in some of your faces. And I, 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 and for those that were here at 7 o'clock, we realize it wore some of you out because you weren't here with us at 7 to help set up. We understand. But uh, all of us have been to that place. Maybe, maybe you're there this morning in some issue, some circumstance. You're just you're ready to quit, whatever it is. Doesn't mean you're ready to give up on life. It just means in whatever circumstance or situation you're facing. I mean, you you fought it for a long time. Things hadn't changed. I'm wasting my time. You know, I'm ready to I'm ready to quit. Maybe you're not even sure how you got there. Maybe you're stressed out. Anybody ever been stressed out? Maybe you're you're disappointed. Maybe it's some kind of failure that's happened. Maybe it was a failure that, that, that you've had a part in, or maybe it's a failure that you did everything you knew to do and it, it still failed. Maybe you've been dropped off somewhere you never thought you'd be, and now you don't know what direction to go. You don't know what to do. Well, now if that's you this morning, God's got a word for you, okay? It's going to be an encouraging word, okay? So you can relax. It's going to be an encouraging word. But it's going to be a hard word, somewhat. 
And by hard, I mean it's just going to be straightforward, all right? It's, it's, there's not much you can... The, the, the text we're going to take, God just doesn't cookie coat, okay? He, he's straight up and He's honest. And so it's going to be that way. But I, I, want to, I want you to understand that sometimes when we get in that lethargy of depression, or we get, you know, where we're, we're smothering under the load, and we want to have a pity party. Any of you ever have a pity party? Okay, please don't send me an invitation. Okay, because I go to plenty of my own self. I have them all the time. So, you know, you're at that place where... I want to read a passage of Scripture. It's not just common to us. David wrote these words. And I just want to read this passage. Every once in a while I go to this passage and I just remind myself, here's the guy who killed Goliath with a rock. Here's the guy who, when he went home... The ladies were singing in the street. David has slain his 10,000. I mean, here's a guy who had everything. And yet, there were moments in his life where he was ready to quit. Psalms 55. I'm going to read verse 1 through the the beginning of verse 8a. And this comes out of the New Living Translation. Listen to what David says. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my cry for help. Have you ever been there? God, I feel like... I mean, he didn't say do not ignore my cry for help because he was just picking words out of the sky. He chose that word because that's how he felt. God, you've been ignoring me. Don't ignore my cry for help. Please listen to me and answer me. For I'm overwhelmed with my troubles. My enemies shout at me, making loud and wicked threats. They bring trouble on me and angrily hunt me down. My heart pounds in my chest. The terror of death assaults me. Fear and trembling overwhelms me, and I can't stop shaking. Listen to what he says. I love to read this because I've felt like this more than once in my life. Oh, that I had the wings like a dove. I would fly away and rest. I would fly far away to the quiet of the wilderness how quickly I would escape. You ever felt like that? I wish I had wings because I'd fly away from this situation or this circumstance or this or that or this or that. I'd just disappear. To put it in terms we can all understand, this is what David says. Stick a fork in me, Lord. I'm done. You ever felt that way? You know what I'm talking about? Maybe you are wildly successful in what you do, in your vocation, and yet you're empty on the inside. Maybe you failed at work, and you're kind of waiting on the axe to drop. You don't know exactly what's going to happen. Perhaps you, and you can kind of fill in the blank, But you're ready to give up this morning. You're ready to quit. If that's you this morning, I want you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. and We're going to look at one of the most colorful and one of the most powerful characters in all the Old Testament. And, and truly, he is a character. His name is, is Elijah. Elijah is one of my favorite people in all of Scripture. 
I have studied these passages over and over and over and over. Elijah, when, 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 when Elijah acts, I, I pay attention. And, and I, I even as I read this week, and as I studied this passage, I, I found something that I'd read a hundred times but had never seen. But Elijah was, was, was one of the most powerful men in Scripture. He, he was a prophet, and he was, he was a powerful prophet, and he was bigger than life. If he had lived in our day, he would have been on all the TV shows. Uh, you'd been on the, the Hollywood shows where they, they, the paparazzi are clicking pictures. I mean, he was a, a superstar. He was a superstar in his nation and even outside his nation. Kings knew who he were, was. Even the plowboys in the field knew who he was. Everybody knew Elijah. When Elijah came to your town, it struck fear in everybody. He, he, was, he was bigger than life. He's the guy who, when he prayed, it didn't rain for three and a half years. Now, I prayed this morning. I'm just praying that the rain will hold off to about 1.30. Okay? And so far, so good, and I praise God for it. But when Elijah prayed, the heavens closed, which made him really, really popular with the royal family of his nation. You see, no rain. No crops. No crops, famine. Famine makes a lot of hunger and death. And so he, he wasn't very popular, but he was very powerful. And he was so popular that they offered a bounty for his capture. In other words, uh, if you go to the, if, if you go into the post office there in Samaria, you would have seen his wanted poster on the, on the, on the post office wall. Wanted, dead or alive. We're all familiar with this story. I mean, I've had the privilege to go to Mount Carmel two times and, uh, and to stand where, where in the area where Elijah uh, had the, the contest or the duel between Jehovah God and Baal and where he faced off and faced down the 450 prophets of Baal. And we know that story so well. Uh, we can tell we can tell how he how he rebuilt the altar and how he took a seat and he gave the the prophets of Baal all day to do their stuff and they jumped about and they danced and they screamed and they prayed and they cut themselves and they cried and nothing happened and then then Elijah comes and he he rebuilds the altar very carefully then he he offers the sacrifice and he places it on the altar. And then he, he has them bring water. And they dig a trench around the altar and they soak the wood and the altar and, and the sacrifice until literally the ditches fill up. And then he bows his head, bends his knee, and cries out to God. And what happened? Fire falls. Fire. F-I-R-E. Fire. And that fire didn't just consume the sacrifice. It didn't just consume the wood. It consumed the stones. It licked up the, the water out of the ditch. We know that story so well. We can, we can tell that story in our sleep. It's one of those stories that, yeah! yeah I mean, you get excited about it. That's one you can stand up and cheer about. 
And we, we get excited and we cheer for him because the next thing he does, he rounds up those pagan priests and they take them down Mount Carmel to the, to the brook of Kishon. And, and there Elijah himself slays all 450 of them. He hacks them into pieces. We, we know that story. And then if that's not enough, he, he runs up beside the king's chariot. Now you do realize that horses were pulling the king's chariot. Okay, It's about 17 miles back to Jezreel, back to the, the capital city, uh, where the capital city was. And the Bible says that Elijah girded up his loins, he tucked his robe in his, his belt, and he outran the chariot. Now horses can run a lot faster than people. Amen? But the Bible says that, that he outran them. I mean, those are, the, those are the, the stories that, man, we love to tell. That's not the start part of the story, though, I'm going to share with you this morning. That's not the, the key part. You see, at, at that moment, Elijah had seen the power of God, and he had experienced it. I mean, he had seen God pour out His glory on that mountain. I mean, when, when fire comes out of heaven, this wasn't a lightning strike, okay? This was the, the Shekinah glory of God. It just came down. It just roasted the top of that mountain. There was no doubt that, that Jehovah was God. He had experienced the power of God. And he had experienced the, the adulation and the cheers of the crowd. I mean, you know, he... Let's be honest. If, if you're in his place, I'm feeling pretty good about my relationship with God right then. Amen? Just, just, let's just be honest. I mean, he, he's, he's tapped in to the power of God. But you know, his journey from that mountaintop to the abyss is just a few moments. And I'm going to share what I mean by that. King Ahab gets home. And Jezebel, his queen, meets him. And Jezebel is, I'm going to go out on a limb here, but I'm going to say this. She is the most wicked woman that has ever walked the face of this earth. Now you say, Nelson, why would you say that? Well, because in the book of Revelation, God could have chosen anybody, anybody, anybody's name, when he talks about, the prophetess that was in one of the churches, but yet he calls her Jezebel. So that's God's pretty much assumption of how wicked she was. She's, she's probably the wickedest woman that, that had ever lived. She was a, a, a witch. We know that. She practiced witchcraft. She, I believe she was demonized, okay? I believe that. I believe she had given herself over to, 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 to demonic control. She was a wicked, vindictive, mean, mean woman. And so Ahab gets home, and he shares with her that, you know the 450 prophets that did everything you wanted? They're not around anymore. Uh, you're going to have to hire some more. She was the power behind the throne. If you read the, 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 the record here, you'll find that what Jezebel wanted, Jezebel got. All Ahab had to do was tell her he wanted it, and she would do whatever was necessary to get it. And so she gets out her stationery, and she writes a little thank you note to Elijah. And I'm going to paraphrase what she said. 
Hey, big boy, you're a dead man. Signed her name, sent it to him. And Scripture says that Elijah, the prophet of God, the, 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 the prayer warrior with a resume that reads like this, when he prays, it doesn't rain for three and a half years. When he prays, fire comes from heaven. I mean, here is a powerful prayer warrior. He gets the message. The Bible says he falls apart. He went into a panic. This is the man who had experienced the raw power of God. He had seen fire come out of heaven in response to his prayer. He had seen heaven dry up when he prayed. He'd experienced the the power of God, but now this little note, these little words from, from a demonized queen struck fear in his heart. And they didn't just strike fear in his heart. He took off running. Okay, I mean, he didn't waste any time. Now you may say, we can, you know, we can say, well, Elijah was wrong, but you've got to understand that this is the, the power in the country. If, if, when she says something, it usually happens. And she's cold-blooded. You remember uh, the vineyard that uh, Ahab wanted? And he couldn't get, and he went home and lay across his bed and had a, a baby fit? And she said, Ahab, what's wrong? Aren't you the king? Well, the next thing you know, she'd sent one of her guys out. They killed the old boy that owned the vineyard and took it. And so, you know, she had a reputation that preceded her. It's interesting what First Kings 19, verse 3 says. And he, Elijah, Elijah was afraid and arose and ran for his life. And he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servants there. You know, we read that, and we just read over it. But Elijah put on the wings of a dove and he took off. He didn't just take off a mile or two. He took off almost a hundred miles. A hundred miles. From Jezreel to Beersheba. But that wasn't even enough. If you keep reading the passage in in verse 4, it says that he went a day's journey into the wilderness. He, He literally... He left his servant behind and he went another 20 or so miles into the wilderness until he was literally physically, emotionally, mentally, and I think spiritually as well, exhausted. But he himself went a day's journey, verse 4, into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. Now that sounds really good. He sat down. It kind of gives you the impression he's walking through the forest there and he finds this nice juniper tree and sits down in it. There is no forest in this area. It's wasteland. And a juniper tree is better translated a broom straw tree. Okay? Y'all know what broom straw is? There's not much shade under a broom straw tree. I can't even imagine what a broom straw tree looks like. So Elijah has sat down under the broom straw. And now listen to what his words are. And he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, It is enough now, O Lord. Take my life, for I am not better, I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and he slept under the juniper tree. 
In other words, I quit, God. Stick a fork in me, I'm done. Do y'all understand what the brother is saying here? Y'all understand where he's at? I would rather die than live in this situation. I would rather die than live under this stress. I would rather die than this be hanging over my head all the time. I say it again. Elijah had personally witnessed the power of God. But he's forgotten all about the presence of God. You know, it's easy to get caught up in the present. I mean, in the power. I mean, that, that's what we want to see. We want to see the, the fireworks and, and those spectacular things. But folks, you need to hear this. We need the presence of God. That's what we need. If we have the presence of God, the power of God's already there. He doesn't go anywhere without His power. Elijah had had seen the power, but he'd forgotten about the presence of God. And he felt all by himself, all alone. You ever been there? You know, you you can be there and be in a crowd of a thousand people, and yet feel like you're all alone. Elijah had, had left his position. He had gone AWOL. I mean, basically, he had, you know, he, he just left. That success that was so fresh in his mind a few days before had been replaced by fear and by failure. You know what? The distance between success and failure, between God's will and sin, is one step in the wrong direction. One step. Now, you know the story, if, you, if you've read this. God sends him an angel who, who gives him some food and some water and provides a little supernatural nap for this panicked prophet. And, you know, I just want to say this, and this may be all you need to hear. There are some of you in this room, I guarantee, that need to go home, take a nap. Okay? Seriously. Your pastor's going to do that this afternoon. I can promise you that. Nobody at my house today, just me. I may not even lay on the couch. I may just go get in the bed, all up in the middle of the bed and go to sleep. You know what? When we get stressed out, we get exhausted, we don't think straight. How many of you realize that? Our vision gets a little blurred. We don't think straight. We make stupid decisions. You ever made a stupid decision because you were exhausted? Here's a word for you today. Eat a turkey sandwich. Take a nap before you make a decision that may change your life. Go home today if you're worn out physically. A lot of times when we get worn out physically or when we get worn out emotionally or mentally and then we get worn out physically, we're in a dangerous position. And that's what had happened to Elijah. Things didn't happen like he thought they would. He thought that, that, that Jezebel and Ahab would crawl back into their hole and, and God's glory would come in Israel and the people would return and there'd be revival. And guess what? That didn't happen. In fact, he got that thank you note. He said, hey, big boy, you're as good as dead. Now, I'm gonna say, this is your death warrant. What you did is going to cost you your life. 
And it got real quiet. And there wasn't anybody. God didn't say, don't worry about that note. I'll take care of her. You know why he didn't say that? You know why he didn't say that? Because he'd already promised to take care of Elijah. Elijah had spent three and a half years drinking water out of brook and crows bringing him biscuits and gravy. Or biscuits, sausage biscuits. Well, it wasn't sausage biscuits because he's a Jew, okay? I'm going to have to get out of the sausage. He didn't, I don't know what, he's going to have lamb biscuits, okay? But he, for three years, the, the, the ravens had brought him, God had taken care of him. And when that brook dried up, God sent him to a widow who didn't have anything. And he lived with her. So God had already promised to take care of him. But in his fear and in this, in this situation, he forgot about all that. He couldn't, he couldn't remember that. And so instead of just taking a deep breath, he took off on about a 120-mile run, run and ended up in the middle of nowhere under a tree praying, God, just kill me. Now, there have been other men in Scripture that prayed the same thing, and I'm sure some ladies. Jonah said, hey, just I knew you was going to do that, God, just kill me. You ever prayed that? I'm not going to tell you whether I have or not. I'm not I've never actually prayed that, but there have been some times when I wanted to pray that. I'd just soon die. And so here Elijah is, and the angel has come, hand made him some bread, cooked it on a stone, given him some water, and Elijah just collapsed. He goes to sleep. After a long sleep, he wakes back up, and the angel prepares another meal. And it's, I didn't, I've never seen this before. Never caught this. But the angel basically tells him, you need to eat this because this is going to take you for the next 40 days. In other words, that must have been some kind of food. Okay? That doesn't say that you won't drink, but it does say you won't eat. And so for the next 40 days after he wakes up, he and God take a walk through this wilderness area. And it's interesting as you read this passage, God doesn't say a word. But we know God's there. And so, Elijah and God take the walk. God's quiet. Elijah's wrestling, though, with, with, with his demons of fear and with his demons of failure. He, he, he's wrestling till they get to, to a mountain called Horeb. Now, if that doesn't ring a bell in your, your mind, it's, it's also Mount Sinai. Does that... that this is the same place that, that the presence of God came down on in Moses' day. And, and the mountain shook. And God was there. And Moses went up unto that mountain and, and God's glory came down and, and God gave him the Ten Commandments. This is the mountain of God. So God has taken Elijah from somewhere under a broom straw tree 40 more days on a journey that shouldn't have taken but about 20 days. I mean, they could have lollygagged and saw the sights on the way, and got there in 20 days. But God gives Elijah plenty of time to come to his senses. And so Elijah gets to the, the mountain. He ascends up it, begins to climb up it. The Bible says that he finds a cave, and I believe that, that he crawled in that cave and he prepared to die. I think that's probably what was in his mind. 
I mean, you hear a lot of stuff if you're by yourself in 40 days. You hear a lot of voices. You'll talk to yourself, and the devil, he'll talk to you. All kinds of things go through your mind. I think this, this mighty man of God crawled in that cave. He kind of pulled the dirt in, and he, he waited to die. How fitting he must have thought for such a failure as I am. You ever been there? This is what I deserve. And in that silence of despair and depression, awaiting his appointment with death, Elijah hears a voice. He hears a voice. And it's a voice that he had heard before. You see, Elijah, I think I mentioned this before, was a prophet. And he wasn't just a prophet. He was the prophet. Capital letters, quotation marks around it. He was the prophet of Israel. To be a prophet meant that you had to hear the voice of God and speak what God said. So he knew what God's voice sounded like. And so he hears the voice of God. But it's interesting, these words that that God speaks are not prophetic words. These words are penetrating words. They're words that that literally penetrated deep into his spirit and into his soul. Six very simple words. If you look at 1 Kings 19, verse 9, the latter part of it, here's, here's here's what God said. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? God didn't scream it. God just whispered it. What are you doing here, Elijah? Six words. Now, how many of you realize that when God asks a question, He's not seeking answers? You understand what I'm saying? He already knows what Elijah is doing there. So He's not asking the question for His sake. He's asking it for Elijah's sake. He's asking it to cause Elijah to take a realistic look at why he's there and where he's at. God ever ask you one of those questions? Now, let's put ourselves in Elijah's place. Month and a half, he's running for his life. He's come all the way from Jezreel, where it's nice and green. The Valley of Jezreel, beautiful place. I mean, it's it's a it's it's just green and 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 beautiful, and all kind of crops grow there. And now he's he's gone from there to nothing. It's rocks and scorpions and serpents and more rocks and dirt. And he hears that question, what are you doing here, Elijah? You know what? I'll bet Elijah was kind of dumbfounded there for a minute. And if he's like us, I'll bet he got mad. Let's just put ourselves in that position. I'll bet he got angry. Why am I here? You ever done that? I mean, I I can hear myself asking the questions. I mean, I can take Elijah's name off the page here and insert Nelson, and I'll bet you can too. Why am I here? You're God. 
Where have you been? Don't you, you don't you, I mean, don't you know what's going on? Haven't, didn't you read the note she sent me? Where have you been for the last month? And have you ever asked that question? God, where have you been? I've been struggling and this has been going on and my business is here and my marriage is here and my kids are here. God, where have you been? God, I'm physically, where have you been? You ever ask God those questions? I have. God's pin-up frustration, or Elijah's pin-up frustration kind of tumble out like cheap confetti at his pity party. I mean, he just, I mean he's having a pity party here and, and he's, he, just, he just lets it out. And, and so he answers the question. The only problem is God asks, what are you doing here? Elijah answers him why he's there. Now, you just keep that straight, okay? Elijah says in, in verse 10, he says, I have been zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed all your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left. God, I am the only one left. And now they want to take my life away. They seek my life to take it away. God, I'm the only one left. Well, what am I doing here? God, I'm it. I'm all you got. You ever felt that way? Come on, let's just be real honest. God, I'm the only one. I'm the only one going through this. Can I just tell you, God wasn't really impressed with Elijah's answer. You know how I know that? Because he ignores it completely. He totally ignores him. He doesn't even respond to it. He doesn't take Elijah up in his arms like you'd take your baby up and go, Oh, son, daddy's here now. It's going to be okay. Blow the boo-boo. God didn't blow the boo-boos off. Didn't put a band-aid on. You know what? Elijah was laboring under the impression that he was God's last hope. Instead of doing all those things, you know what God said? He said, crawl out of your hole and stand before me. That's paraphrased. Look at 1 Kings 19, 11. I'm going to read verse 11 through 13. It says, and the Lord told him to come out and stand before him. It says, and behold, the Lord was passing by. Now, just picture what I'm about to read. Close your eyes and just kind of picture this. And a great and a strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a gentle, a sound of a gentle blowing. And it came about when Elijah heard it, when he heard what? the gentle blowing, that he wrapped his face in his mantle. That mantle was the sign that he was a prophet. And so he he wraps himself up literally in his calling, in a sense. And he takes a step out of that cave and onto that ledge. Now, I could go on and on and on with that. Man, God just dumped a bunch of stuff in my lap this morning about that, but it's not for today. Okay, So Elijah hears... A breeze. He hears a gentle voice. And he steps outside. Now, Elijah knew all about the power of God. He'd witnessed it daily in his own ministry. But like I said a while ago, he'd forgotten about the presence of God. You know, I don't know what God was doing by the 
the wind breaking the rocks off or the earthquake coming or the fire, all that stuff. I, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe he was just showing Elijah, you know what, I'm still just as powerful as I was. In fact, I'm more powerful if, if all you thought I could do was, was stop the heavens from raining and send fire. I can break the earth apart. I can destroy it if I choose to. So there's no issue with me. I'm still as strong as I was. I, I don't know if that's what God was showing him. But one thing is for sure, the sound of God's presence, that gentle breeze, captures, it gets his attention. It draws him out. Listen to me. Whatever circumstance or situation that you find yourself in, if you will just quiet yourself and listen, you'll hear the breeze. You'll hear the same wind. God will speak to you. But God wants us to come to the end of ourself. You see, Elijah had come to the end of himself. He had run as far as he could go. His legs wouldn't carry him any longer. He hadn't eaten anything now in 40 days. Okay, I don't know if you've ever fasted before, but let me just say this. After a week, you're weak as water. After 21 days... This man had been 40 days, and he'd been walking every day. So, I mean, he's, he's exhausted. And then all of a sudden, out of that still breeze, out of that quiet breeze, God asked that infernal question again. What are you doing here, Elijah? You see, Elijah had abandoned his post. He'd left his position. He had left where he had influence and where where he made intercession and where he had protection. He had abandoned his sheep in a sense. He had abandoned the people of Israel. He had run away from what God had given him to do. Elijah, what are you doing here? That question makes sense to you? Let me ask it. What are you doing here? And I don't mean here. Okay? I'm talking about wherever you are right now in your life. It might be in your marriage. It might be in your vocation. It may be in your spiritual life. It may be in your physical, in the health of your life. What are you doing here? That question kind of grabs hold of me every time I read it. Does it make sense to you? Are you right now struggling to come up with an excuse? No, I'm sorry. I meant an answer that will satisfy God. Because listen, it is an excuse. If God's asking you that question this morning, it's probably you're not exactly where you need to be. It may not be that you're mile, you may not be 100 and 200 miles away from where you're supposed to be. It may just mean that you're a step away from where you're supposed to be. But a step away is just like 200 miles. The implication of God's question is, Elijah, you're not where you're supposed to be. You're not where I left you. You're not doing what I left you to do. 
What are the implications this morning for you? You where you're supposed to be? If not, why not? Perhaps God's asking you that question this morning so you'll just stop running. Can I share something with you? God doesn't have to chase you. He's omnipresent. Wherever you're running to, He's already there. Wherever you're going, He's already been. You can't outrun Him. And that's what Elijah was doing. He was trying to run away, not from just Jezebel, but from the calling that God had placed on his life, from God. Maybe God's put a calling on you. Maybe He's given you something to do. and Maybe it's a ministry. Maybe it's a, a passion. Maybe it's, it's, it's a job. Maybe nobody understands it. Maybe, maybe everyone in your family, everyone that, that knows you thinks it's nuts. Maybe you've even answered it and things had not turned out like you thought. Maybe it's a lot harder than you imagined and you're ready to give up this morning. Can I just say this? Following God is not easy. In the nation in which we lived, in the version of Christianity which has the, the, the bright lights today, that's what's taught. But following Christ, being a disciple of Jesus Christ is not easy. It costs. Grace does not cost. Grace is free. God gives us all the grace we need. But folks, discipleship comes with a cost. It's a cost. How bad do I want to be a disciple of Christ? How bad do I want to follow Christ? You know, the, the version that, that's being taught out there today is, you know what, God will not put on you more than you can stand. That is not in Scripture. What God says is, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will walk with you through whatever situation or circumstance you encounter. Folks, following God is not easy. Now, what are you doing here, Elijah? You know how Elijah responds? With the same lame excuse... He used a few minutes ago. Like God's hard of hearing. You ever told God the same thing over and over and over and nothing changed? It could be that you're not giving the right answer rather than God's not listening. See, God ignored the whimpering. And He gives, instead, He gives four commands to Elijah. And I'm going to go through these quickly, but I've come to this place to communicate a point. There are four things you've got to do if you're not where you're supposed to be. God's not going to do them for you. You can pray and pray and pray and pray and pray until there's calluses on your knees and you have no voice, but God will not do for you what He's given you to do. So God ignores Elijah's whimpering. He gives him four demands. And if we want to get back where we need to be so that we can do what God wants us to do, these are the four things we have to do. The first one is you have to face your present. Elijah had no place else to run. There was, there was nowhere else to go. 
And so he was forced to turn and to face his failure. He was a failure. He had abandoned his post. He had deserted his calling. And there's a biblical principle here we need to understand, okay? God will not give you something new to do. I don't care how hard you pray, how hard you cry, how much you complain about what He gave you to do. He will never give you anything else to do until you accomplish the last thing He gave you to do. Let me say that again. God will never give you something new until you finish the last thing He gave you to do. That's why you keep seeing the same scenery. Have you ever felt like you were running laps? I have. God, we've already had this this lesson. That's because, son, you didn't pass it the last time, and we're going to come by here until you finally pass it, and then we'll move on. You ever been there? God, I'm going in circles. You are. Open your eyes and listen, and maybe you'll see the way out of it. Folks, God expects us to do what He's given us to do. He doesn't work the other way. God, I don't like this. This is too tough. Okay, baby, I'll give you something easy to do. He doesn't do that. Folks, our obedience guarantees His presence, which ensures His power will be sufficient no matter the task. His presence ensures the power for whatever task we face, but the key is we do what He says. We have to face our presence. We have to come to God, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I'm on the backside of nowhere on Mount Sinai, touring uh, the, the ruins of where Moses got the Ten Commandments. I'm on a sightseeing trip, Lord. I messed up. You have to face your presence. But you have to also replace your past. Now, I want you to listen to what God says to him. In verse 19, I mean chapter 19, verse 5. First, well, that's not... It ain't 19.5. It might be 19.15. Yeah, it is 19.15. Forget about what's on the screen. I made a mistake. Look at, look at your text. And the Lord said to him, Go back the same way you came. Go return. In other words, Elijah, I want you to climb down the mountain and I want you to go exactly straight back the way you came. Folks, we have to face our past. you don't face it and you don't deal with it, it will torpedo any chance you have of a future. It will destroy your future. Perhaps that may mean repenting. Repentance. God, I blew it there. I'm, I, you're right. I just confess that, Lord. That was sin. It may mean forgiving. There may be somebody in the past that you refuse to forgive. Guess what? You're going to run the circle until you forgive. God will wear you out. He is eternal. We are temporal. He will win. Okay? It may mean forgive. It may mean granting forgiveness. Somebody may have hurt you and you just can't let go of it. It may mean a lot of things. May it mean admitting that you failed and coming to grips with it. Elijah is forced to look at the fact that, you know what? At his highest moment, 
His faith failed him. Folks, it happens to all of us. None of us are immune to that. Our faith falters. Peter, his faith faltered. And he denied Jesus three times. We all falter. We all stumble. He experienced the signs and the wonders of God, but, but in his moment of failure, he forgot God's presence, would never fail or forsake him. And folks, the, tr- the same is true today. God will not forsake you. He will not cast you aside. He will not forget you. Our failures, listen to me, our failures don't limit God's faithfulness. If they did, there'd be nobody here today. We have all failed we have all messed up. But our mess-ups and our failures don't limit God's faithfulness. So we have to replace our past. We have to face it. We have to go back the same way we came and deal with it. We have to clean up our own messes. How many of you enjoyed cleaning up messes that your children made? Now we do it when they're infants and when they're little bitty kids because they don't know how to do it. But there comes a place where we teach them to do it. Because if we don't, they will never learn it. One of the joys of being a youth pastor for me was cleaning up after teenagers. I got to the point where I said, look, I don't have mama tattooed on my back. I'm not your mama. You drank out of that cup, you throw that cup away. We've raised a generation of prima donnas and princes and princesses. And we've got a generation in the church that think somebody else is supposed to clean up their messes. No. You know what? We clean our own messes up. We take them before the Lord Jesus. We admit them. We confess them. And He deals with them. But we have to deal with the past. So we replace the past. We face our present. And then you have to turn. And you have to kind of do something. And that is you have to embrace the future. God had intended for Elijah to do a lot more than he had done there on Mount Carmel. There was more to his ministry. That wasn't it. It wasn't like, that's it. I'm done with you, Elijah. And the same is true for every one of us. God wants you to embrace what He has for you. God wants us to be significant, okay? Not just successful. He wants us to be significant. Significant means that you do something that lasts that continues after you were here. It's kind of like leaving footprints. You know, you can leave a footprint in the sand, and when the surf comes in, what happens? It's wiped away. You can put your same footprint in concrete, and when it dries, it'll be there for a while. See, that's what God wants in us. We want to walk on the beach. God wants us to wade through concrete. He wants us to be significant. So if you, if you read the story a little more, now I'm almost through, God gives Elijah three tasks, three things to do. One of them was that he's to go and anoint a new king in Aram, which is one of the neighboring countries. In fact, in, Elijah knows that this is going to be the country that comes and executes judgment on his people. And so he has to go and anoint the king who will ultimately bring God's judgment on his flesh and his blood. 
his neighbors. Not a real good task. Not something you, you want to volunteer for. Then he says, I want you to also anoint a new king in Israel. By the way, this is, this is going to be the replacement for the one who wants to kill you right now. And then he has a third assignment. He says, I want you to go and anoint a new prophet. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. I'm the prophet. So what God's asking to do is, I want you to anoint your replacement. This gig ain't going to last forever. You're not going to be here forever. Your, Your days are just about up. So he's got three things that he's supposed to do. His job was to locate, and then he had to elevate, and then he had to empower the next generation for service. And folks, that's why we're here. We're here to locate that next generation. We're here, folks, to, to, to elevate them, to teach them so that they can grow and empower them so that there is a voice here when we're gone. Do you realize Christianity is one generation away from extinction? That's the way it's always been. It doesn't just continue. We have a responsibility to reproduce after our kind, after, after those who know Christ. And so he gives, that was his future. And folks, that's our future. But I love God never lose, leaves any loose ends. God's kind of a stickler for details. And at this point, he kind of hits pause because he's going to address a response that Elijah has given him twice before. You remember the one, I'm the only one, God! I'm the only one left. I'm it. And now they want to kill me. It's interesting what God says. It's kind of like, oh, by the way, Elijah, you remember that garbage that you were spouting a few minutes ago? First Kings nineteen eighteen. this is what God says. I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Hey, Elijah, i got 7,000 more just like you. I want you to let that sink in. That's humbling, isn't it? You ever feel like you're all God's got? Let's just be honest. God, I'm the only one. Folks, we're not indispensable to God. If I won't do it, you'll find somebody else who will. But He wants me to do it. Okay? He wants you to do it. So we have to embrace our future. We have to embrace our future. We have to replace our past. We have to face our present. But folks, the fourth one may be the most important thing. We have to chase after God. The reason Elijah found himself in the place where he found himself is that he'd forgotten about the presence of God. He got all hooked up in the power of God and forgot about that personal one-on-one relationship. Instead of, of, of laying that, that, that thank you note out on the ground and getting on his face before God, he tucked it in his pocket and he ran. He didn't chase after God. Listen to me, more than God wants your service, God wants your heart. He wants all of you. 
He wants relationship. Folks, He doesn't need our service. He's got angels that do what He wants. They follow, I mean, they follow to the T exactly what He says to do. They carry out His orders. He's got angels. He wants relationship with us. God wanted Elijah to understand that being in His presence was the most important place that he could be. Listen to me. God will take care of the power you need for whatever circumstance or situation you're in if you will passionately pursue His presence. If you'll chase after Him. Let me ask this question. I'm going to pray. Why are you here? Why are you here? Father, this morning, we just confess to you. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.